Uh, this is my wife, Nancy Berwin. Thanks. You know, it's, um, I have to say, I really like being in love after being married 13 years and being super in love. It's amazing. And, um, and it's exciting, and I still feel, it feels better than being a newlywed. It really does. Married 13 years, and I'm more in love and enjoying him more than when, you know, you always think like the newlywed thing is like the big high where, you know, we made out all the time, you know, back, <laughs> we still kind of make out a lot, but, um, <laughs> but it's actually pretty exciting to be in love uh, after 13 years of marriage, and I, it's exciting because I know that it's happened because of God, like there's no way. No way, but it has been because of God and his in, incredible healing power. So uh, that was kind of fun being introduced by my husband. Um, anyway, welcome to in our Live Your Vision series. We're going to be talking about living for something bigger than yourself. Because when you think of vision, what pops into your mind? Think about it. Like, I know for me, if you think about vision for your life, what are some of the first thoughts that enter in? I know when I was a younger person, I was so ambitious. I was in my 20s, and I wanted desperately to be like the richest person in the world. Like, that was my goal. <laughs> that was my aspiration. And I was, I, I, wanted, I was so focused on it. It meant so much to me. And I look back because I think that was my idea about what vision looked like. It was being this super successful person in some way. Have you ever had that kind of be what your head was as far as your life vision? And so it's funny because now that I'm more aware of it, it meant so much to me. And I was so desperate for that to be, you know, what my life turned out like because of places that I really doubted my own self-worth. I kind of thought if I made a pile of money, everybody would really like me or have to. <laughs> Don't you ever think that? Like if you're rich, they gotta like you. So, no, you're looking at me like I'm the only person that thought that. Okay. <laughs> I will be the only crazy person in the room. So, um, but as far as just when you think about oftentimes our ambitions or the things that we really want to accomplish, I'm not saying it's always about that, but a lot of times when our visions are about things like being wildly successful or, you know, I, I own an acting school and so there's a lot, you know, my students all want to be famous people someday, you know, like that's kind of the picture and and you think about, a lot of times people think about if I'm famous then I'm going to be happy. You know, I'll get all the girls or the guys or what have you. And, um, and again, everybody will like me. So it's kind of funny because I want to actually take you to a s section of scripture in Mark chapter 10. Uh, I really like this section a lot because the um, disciples were kind of having some of those ideas when they were speaking to Jesus about it. And in Mark chapter 10, we're going to have it up there in case nobody wants to flip around in your Bible. But we do have the sermons are on the version. Uh, if you have that Bible app. And you can look for it there and you can even write notes. And I'm going to be asking you some questions. So in your program, there's a place to write notes and a pen if you don't have the version. And as, as we're thinking about this, because part of the idea of doing this vision series is each, each week we're trying to get clearer 
about some of these things, about what God might be calling you for as far as the vision for your life. And in Mark 10 and verse 35, it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, that's a kind of cool name, Zebedee, Zebedee Doodah, uh, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Could you imagine asking Jesus that? <laughs> I just have to laugh at the question, going up to Jesus and go, we want you to do whatever we ask you to do. Not even saying what it's going to be. <laughs> we, they just want him to agree to, like he's the genie in the bottle. You know, it's just sort of like, we would like you to do whatever we ask you to do. And um, I don't know what they were <laughs> expecting from that, but I think that that was how they relate to Jesus. Now, what's interesting is, have you ever related to God that way? Yeah, I have too. <laughs> well, thank you for not making me feel like the only crazy one for this one, where you go to God, and, and the way that we relate is, God, I want you to do for me whatever I ask you to do. The creator of all of life, please just grant my wishes <laughs> at my command. So, um, <laughs> anyway, he's got the power to do it, but, and then in verse 36, and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? Wow. You know, you'd think I would kind of, wouldn't you kind of expect him to react going, are you crazy? Who do you think you are? You arrogant somethings, you know, do you know what I'm saying? You would kind of think that he would just like slap them right away and go, you can't possibly be serious. Who? Who do you think you're speaking to? I'm the son of God. How dare you speak to me that way? But he says, what would you like to ask for? <laughs> so, oops. He says, they say to him, grant us that we might sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory. <laughs> they know that they've seen the prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah, that he's going to be the king of kings, lord of lords, and rule over everything. And so they have a picture of what that's going to be. Because what would you think, if you didn't know the story of Jesus, what would you think it would look like for him to be the king of all? You'd kind of have a picture, wouldn't you? I mean, think if there was one king of the world. I mean, we kind of think of the president of the United States that way, but it's not quite. <laughs> we might think that, but it doesn't quite go that way. Um, so they're imagining the most powerful person that rules the whole world, king of kings, lord of lords, and saying, well, when you get there, when you come into this glory, we want to be like, you know, number two man. Or number one man, I'm sorry, Austin Powers. Number one, right? Number one. They would want to be, they each want to be number one. Number one and number two kind of thing on either side. So they're focused, as you can see. We're not alone in the idea of focusing on having a desire for glory. You know, for being exalted in a personal way. And then in verse 38, it says, But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. Now, they have no idea. Jesus is in there going, well, what I'm called to is not glory. What I'm called to is dying, giving my life, and being crucified. Are you able? They're like, they don't know. They're like, yeah, you could be king. I'm up for that. Sign me up for that kingdom stuff. He's like, mm, you don't know what you're asking for. And then, then, so Jesus said, well, 
you will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John because, you know, they're like, oh, you guys are kind of elbowing in for the jockeying for the position, so you'd be upset with James and John too, right? Probably because they probably were sitting there going, why didn't I think of that to ask for the place? And then in verse 42, but Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Wow, this is not the way that the world thinks, is it? In Jesus, in his economy, he's saying, when it comes to God, anything, if you want greatness, serve. That our heart, there is nothing greater in God's kingdom and God's perspective to want something great and honorable and worthy in life. You want a vision that's really worth something? Serve. Have a heart to have your life be about how you can make a difference and be there to others. That's emulating Jesus in his steps. That was so opposite of the world and the way that ambition worked in the world was to be the greatest servants of all. But to think about, and we talked about in our little uh, dress rehearsal teaching, if you came to our dress rehearsal week when, um, about happiness versus meaning, that true happiness doesn't come by just pursuing happiness. In fact, it makes you unhappy. Because happiness is about feeling good in a superficial way. It's, and so if you chase just feeling good, it's completely self-centered, completely self-focused, and there's no win. You cannot be gratified and satisfied if happiness, be, if, if happiness is what you pursue. But if you pursue meaning and purpose in life, that's actually where we're happy and it endures. Mind you, the happiness still, even if you pursue meaning your happiness is going to go up and down but it's going to be joy we talked about on easter sunday that jesus for the joy that was set before him endured the cross joy is different from happiness joy is an inside thing it's a spiritual thing that comes from seeking god and his purposes and from having your life have meaning that's why he could have joy about the cross it wasn't happy You know, not smiling and laughing to the cross, you know, but there was joy. So Jesus is saying, whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Is there any human being that, I mean, we've talked about this before, there is no human being that is more famous and more loved in the history of the world. And you could easily prove this, just in a numbers kind of a way, than Jesus Christ. And yet, his example was to be the greatest servant of all. He could, you know, he had the right, he could be entitled to be 
exalted in a way and have everybody you know, relate to him that way. But he was the greatest servant of all and is an example for that. So part of this, in thinking about your vision, and I want you to think about this, and we're going to write some things down, but think in terms of what God's calling you to, to serve. And there's many ways to do that, but to think about how can you make a difference? How is God speaking to you about what you're called to, to serve and impact others? I even pray for that in my business. You know, it's one of those things that when I'm praying and I just sort of like, I want to be a servant in what I do in teaching. When I teach, I want to have that. Mind you, it's sort of in that role. And there was a little time period where I kind of was wandering away from trusting God, where I related because it's sort of, a, you know, my career because of the influence you know, that I have in the kind of the Hollywood connections where people were relating to me in a way that, that people would cater to me. And when I was kind of, there was a time in my life where my heart was hard. I'm embarrassed, ashamed of this time period where I wasn't really praying and seeking God because success kind of got to my head a little bit. And so I was relating in a way, well, people kind of do what I say. And so it was kind of what the Gentiles talk about as far as ruling. I have the power. I'm going to act like it. I never want my heart to be like that. It disgusts me that I even was in that place that I ever related to people that were weaker, that I had influence over in a way that wasn't a servant. So I pray to God to keep my heart soft where when I'm doing something that it's not, that there's never a time that I take advantage of being in that position of power, but that I pray for for being a servant to my students, to think that way, to say, how can I be there? How can I serve them? Whatever it is and whatever we're called to do where God's calling us to think about what is it that's, that God's calling you for your vision of your life, but to ha- be in a heart place of being bigger than yourself and your own glory, etc. Let's go to Matthew uh, 16. This is another one in uh, verse 24. It says, uh, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, this is just, again, well, actually, I'll read the rest and let's talk about it because there's a whole bunch of great things in this section of scripture. In verse 25, it says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So let's kind of look at these elements because this, talk about this being opposite of everything that we learn in the world, right? In terms of how does success, how do you accomplish something? This is kind of what, deny yourself and, you know, it's, and take up your cross. The cross doesn't sound very fun, does it? Cross, sign me up for that. So it's kind of, what is that even about? So let's talk about that. Denying yourself, think about that. What would that even be? Denying immediate gratification, denying things that might, denying yourself implies sacrifice, and so does the cross. That God is, that the greatest fulfillment in life comes from sacrifice in ways that are worthwhile and meaningful of giving of yourself, making yourself uncomfortable. So, 
And everybody's got, what is the cross? What is the sacrifice that God is calling you to? And it, it says, and follow him. Now, what's really wild about this is it says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. What does that mean? And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What do you mean? What do you mean? Now, what the, it's really interesting. God's economy is opposite of the world's. It's kind of like, you know, the more you... God, you know, the more that you hold on to things and become self-centered and self-focused, that's where you lose. If we live our lives in a way that's kind of, I, I call it hoarding, <laughs> being a hoarder, where it's just like, mine, mine, you know, like Spiegel or, you know, like whatever, or like, <laughs> you know, my, my ring, you know, just sort of like that kind of upset, you know, like you, there is no joy or fulfillment, you think if you start living in a way that everything's like grabbing things and you can't lose and you don't want to give it up and it's my time, it's my, you know, whatever it is, you are not going to be happy and fulfilled in your vision. A self-centered vision that is not about giving. If you have a vision in your life that's all about self-aggrandizement or glory or and not about service and making a difference, you're not going to be happy or fulfilled. It is in God's economy. Have you ever noticed that? The more selfish you get, it's, have you ever been really happy being selfish, really? Not me. It's weird. It's a dark kind of place to go where you're just fearful and not wanting to give and not, you know, got to hide and hoard, you know, don't get anybody close, don't give my heart away, don't give my time away, don't give my money away, don't, you know. Not a good place to be. So that's, it's God's economy. God actually designed life. How wild is that? That it's in giving and being of sacrifice that that's where we find our fulfillment in life. That's where we actually have meaning and purpose and feel like we are living to what we're called to. Now what's really weird is in the giving, we actually find the satisfaction and fulfillment for us because you can't outgive God. And that's also a difference between being self-reliant versus God-reliant, where we really are trusting our lives to God and his care and not thinking that we've got to just hang on to everything ourselves out of fear, because that comes from fear. You know, it says fear hath torment is what it is. Fear is full of torment, isn't it? So it's, it is you, it, there's so many verses of scripture about this. Give and it'll be multiplied back to you. You know, what you sow, you'll reap. And it'll come back manyfold of whatever it is. So whatever it is, we want to be thinking, if you're thinking about the vision and calling, it's a great place to be, to be thinking about what is it that I'm called to give and to sacrifice, to make a difference. Because everybody, we've talked about you know, you're God's masterpiece and everybody's got one-of-a-kind gifts and abilities to give. You, your gifts, whatever you're amazing at, and everybody's one-of-a-kind. There's nobody can take your place. There are ways that you can give that nobody else can. And that's, there is nothing more fulfilling and gratifying than, than using what God's called you to to bless other people. Actually, let's go to... Um, well, there's another. It's paradoxical. God's ways are kind of paradoxical. 
from the world's ways, but they work. Let's go to Matthew 5 and verse 14. This one's kind of cool. And it says, you are the light of the world. That's you. You want to own that? You are. You ever have a hard time believing it? We got to read it more. God says that you, what does that mean? How many times do you think of that? God is not playing around here. He says you are the light of the world. What could that mean? Because God is light, right? And in him is no darkness at all. Guess what? We are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. That as we live and walk with God, we are light. What does light do? Think about the power of light and what it does. Light dispels darkness, right? You know how powerful light is? If we, we can't do this in this room because there's too much sunshine, but if you have ever, it's kind of the most amazing thing, if you're in a pitch black room where there's no light at all, and you light a match, all the darkness in that room cannot put the match out. That's how powerful light is. And that light makes the darkness go away. That's how powerful that is. Light dispels darkness. It has to leave. So, and it's interesting because um, Adam and I were talking about it, and he was saying, yeah, there's kind of this cool thing, too, about how much light, light, that the other thing is, is light has a finite um, amount of, inf- you know, reach, and it has to do with the brightness, the intensity, et cetera, as to how far the light reaches. So, for one, there's all kinds of things here. One is we want to really let our light shine, which we're going to see. But also that it's going to take more than one of us. You know, it can't be just an individual. You know, we're, you know, one person letting their light shine makes a difference, but together it's much more powerful. So, it's saying, you are the light of the world. The light, you represent God in the way that you're walking with him. The light of his love, the light of his truth, the light of his presence. Then it says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. <laughs> Duh, right? <laughs> it's on a hill. It's not hiding. And city you think of lights, maybe? You ever, you know. Verse 15. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. That would be dumb. You light a, why would you light a lamp and then you just cover it up? So guess what this is trying to say about you? If you're a light, how much are you putting a basket over your life and over who you are and over the light that you're called to be for God? That would be kind of goofy. Here you are. It says, you don't do that. You don't put a light on a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So, it says in verse 16, let your light so shine before men. Why? That they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You are given gifts. God has given everybody gifts, whether it could be everybody's got, there's, we have different personalities. Some people are more analytical. Some people more expressive. You know, we've got people that have different kinds of experiences. No matter what your life experiences and what you've been through in your life, You know, those are things that make you who you are, one of a kind, 
and no one else can take your place. With talents, people playing guitar, people that are great at accounting or administration, or oops, sorry. <laughs> people have all these gifts. You are made to shine for God. And it says, think about this, like how cool, you, you do want to shine. You don't want to put a basket over it. It says it gives light. The goal of God giving you the, the, the gifts that he has and you walking with him as his representative, it says, so that they could see what your good works is what you do. Again, our vision, think about what are the good works of what we're living for and doing in this life, that people see that, it says, and as a result, glorify God. You can live in a way, I don't, if it's your job, your career, whatever that is, in a way, I pray for that too. I pray that in my, you know, and in my acting school, that it's something that glorifies God and brings people to see God more. That people can see his love and his grace when, you know, in that. I pray and ask God, it, you know, hey, God blessed me with this business that I can glorify him in it. And every single person here has a calling where you can fulfill your gifts, your talent, your abilities in a way that draws people to know God more and glorifies God. How cool is that? Hey, hallelujah, is that cool? Yeah. Amen. I want to live like that. Let's live like that. What do you say? Amen. Okay, let's go one more. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and in verse 10, what a visual. You're a light of the world. I want you to just keep that in your brain. That might be something to say every day when you wake up, right? God, God says you're a light of the world. He's not a liar. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10, it says, As each one has received a gift. Hmm. You've received a gift, haven't you? Actually, many gifts. It says, Minister it to one another. We're made to serve one another, and the word minister is to serve. And, you know, we think ministry just like being a pastor or something. Every single one of us is called to minister or be a servant to one another with the gifts that we've been given. As good stewards of the manifold or many-faceted grace of God. That whatever our gifts are that we're called to dispense God's grace in it. That we could be little grace dispensers. You know what grace is? Grace is God's Und, the official definition for grace is God's unmerited divine favor. That means you didn't earn it, but God blessed you with his favor. He's smiling upon you. He's blessed you. And, but it's undeserved. You didn't earn it. And another way, uh, Henry Cloud and John Townsend, which I think is sometimes easier to wrap your head around, is grace is that God is for you. God is for you. That's grace. He's in your corner. He's always for you. There's no time. I don't care if you screwed up or you're not... Whatever you've messed up in, God is always for you. I know it's not deserving oftentimes. You go, why is God for me? He is. Whether, you know, it's nothing you have to do to earn it. He's in your corner. So we are to be dispensers of that to other people. Like that would be being a messenger that what we put out there is God is for you. 
that we are witnesses of that in our own lives and that we share that with other people. God is for you. Anybody need to hear that once in a while and see it and believe it, that God is for you? So that's what, as we, God's made each and every one of us one of a kind, special, unique, and for a purpose. Our most fulfilled vision that we could have, we want to have it be. So I want you to think right now, and actually I'm going to do a little meditation and a writing thing if you've got your programs, and then I'm going to pray. But I want you to take some time right now to think about what is it in the things that you feel like God's called you to and the gifts that you have that you could use to serve other people? What is, how has God made you and shaped you for a purpose? Think about this right now, to serve and to be there for one another, that you could glorify God in his grace, that you could get a clearer purpose that people could, so you could let your light shine. What would that look like, letting your light shine right now? Where are the times that also that hold you back from believing that you are a light of the world? You know, that, that have you to doubt that. So I want, I'm going to pray. And uh, if you want, you can start writing, and I'll, I'll pray while you're writing. But uh, just to have this be a time of a little bit of meditation, to think about some of those things of what God's called you to and and the gifts that you have and how you can serve one another. So, Heavenly Father, I come before you with a heart of thanksgiving. I just feel grateful, God. Um, You know, it's it's funny. I, I... I don't know how you put up with me in some of those earlier years, and it just, uh, I feel sad that there were so many times in my life that um, were just self-centered and not really focused on you, but it didn't bless me. I wasn't happy at all, God, but you are a God. I love that you love us so much and that you have made everybody one of a kind and unique and special and that everyone has something to give. God, I feel grateful for that. I ask you right now to just speak to each and every person here, to each one of us. Help us to get clearer on the vision of what you've called us to and how we can live for something bigger than ourselves, that that is what we want to do. We don't want to just live for immediate gratification or self-aggrandizement. We want to live in a way that we can be a glory to you, that we can live for you, and that we can serve other people and we can make a difference, God. Help our hearts to seek that out. And for you to speak right now, as I know that you can, speak to every one of us. As this is sort of an evolving thing for many people, it's not like a one moment and we get this clarity on our life's vision. That it is a process it, you know, of working with you and seeking you out. But as we keep seeking you, God, that you can help us to become more and more clear Uh, on what you've called us to and what we can have for a vision for our lives. I thank you so much, God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.